Laura. Hi, Pete. How you doing tonight? Don't ask me that. Don't ask you that? No. Okay. Sometimes I don't want to answer honestly. Okay, that's fine. Well, this is His Dark Materials podcast. We're back for the fifth episode of the HBO BBC series of His Dark Materials. Yeah, we're past the halfway point. Hard to believe. Kind of crazy. Um, how are you feeling about things this far along? Well, um, that has changed slightly after this most recent episode. We had the previous episode that was very much by the book. I mean, there were some changes in it, but they were acceptable, right? Yeah, this was um, a mixture of really speeding up a timeline or maybe that's the wrong way to put it bringing stuff in from <laughs> way further in the in the bigger story of the three books yes and also a big change in the main story of the first book so um that has me feeling a little uncertain about where we're at with three episodes left in the first season so would you say that you feel uneasy as a I viewer? I feel a little bit uneasy. Yeah. I do like what all the actors are doing still. None of that has changed. I feel okay about that. But story-wise, what they're choosing is... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I hear you. I... um, Yeah, it, it's a bummer sometimes when your favorite book gets adapted into anything, right? And there's a lot of cool visuals that we're getting to see that, you know, were things we only imagined before now and now they have been materialized. But there's a lot that we aren't getting to see because of some choices that they're making. Yeah, and, it's a little bit of both. And we've seen up to this point that there's some um, splicing in of later timelines, which is what you were talking about. But there's also been some changes in the chronological narrative, even from the first book. Yeah, that's... And and so sometimes I'm like, that's part of the uneasiness for me at this point, knowing that they do that. I'm like, well, are they going to show me X, Y, or Z ever? Or, uh, you know, like, I'm just kind of holding my breath, waiting to see if they put my favorite moment in there or if they left it out for good, you know? For sure. Um, they they did take away one of my favorite moments as it happened in the book in this episode. And I won't say what it is, but, you know, maybe it'll come back around. Maybe we'll see it, but probably not. I'm I'm curious to know what that is, but maybe we can bring That'll it up be later. The very, 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 the very end. end of the episode. In the extra spoiler section. Okay. Um, so... Welcome back, friends. Uh, as you know, if you've listened to the previous episodes, there's a blanket spoiler warning if you haven't seen all of the episodes of the show up to episode five, titled The Lost Boy. Um, we're both book readers, so we try not to give too much book knowledge, but if it seems like they omitted something entirely, sometimes we reference that. So fair yeah. warning. We do our um, best not to spoil and book then stuff. We sometimes have like an extra spoiler, you know, book reader speculation time at the very end. Yeah. And if you don't want that, you can just tune out. We'll give you fair warning. Right. So 
if you haven't seen episode five or any of the previous episodes, check back later. So you ready to get to it? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Um, so we start with this aerial shot of snow-covered land and then mountains, and then it's like a grassland with less snow, a little bit of snow, but not mm-hmm. really snow, as we're coming to the, the Egyptian party that's moving inland. Um, so we're picking up pretty much immediately where we left off at the end of episode four. Um and so, like, I'm immediately disappointed because it is a bright, sunny day and there's grass. Yeah, I was like, there's no snow. What the hell? Um, so I, I was always led to believe that this was much farther north and also at a time of the year or a part of the north where there wasn't much daylight. Like, that was my impression always, 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 was that this, it, this was either a time of year or a part of the world where the sun barely came up. And it was covered in snow everywhere. Yeah. So that was my impression as well. I mean, it was beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Like, even those aerial shots and like the opening coming up to the Egyptian party, Mm -hmm. it looked great. It just, um, these are the kind of things where I keep wondering, like, why change that? I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's harder to shoot a television show in the dark. Like lighting is an issue. Right. It's easier <laughs> to do something I under, I on a brightly it from lit that sunny very day. Practical um, standpoint. It's also probably harder to shoot things in the snow. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you could have had daytime snow. Still, I don't know, man. I was, I too was expecting more snow. I had envisioned this part of the world as just being kind of snow covered most of the time, or at least in the part. In, in the story where we are. Right. Well, so we traveled for the American holiday here uh, recently, and you had me listen to this other um, podcast in the car, the Bald Move podcast mm-hmm. that covers yes. this show. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting when they were talking about the maps overlaying Lyra's world map with our world map. Um, this is something that I've talked about in the book episodes, I think, which we haven't released yet, but... When I was reading these books, I couldn't find such a map. And then apparently they've got them on the internet now. And all I have to do is Google search it. But um, mm-hmm. that those those maps are having this set in like northern Finland, northern Sweden. Yes, I always imagined it was said. like super far north in Russia, like the Taiga, like basically the North Pole. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah, was, I thought it was farther north. That's how I envisioned it as well. But so here we are, and it's a bright, sunny day with blue skies and green grasses, and um, we hear Kaisa's voice, which is, again, Serafina Pecola's demon, um, in kind of a voiceover, and he's giving the witch's prophecy, mm-hmm. um, which says that Lyra has a task to do, but she can't know what it is, or she will fail, and her destiny is to end destiny. And she won't do it alone. There is a boy. And then they cut from the Egyptian party over to this boy walking along a park or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's Will Perry. And actually, I thought we were going to do the episode a little bit differently. And my notes aren't so thorough here. It's okay. (laughs) No. So (laughs) they also say together they will change everything. Voiceover. Uh Um, So... From there, we just got to the Egyptian party going north still. 
Lee's getting pulled on a sled. And there's tanks pulling them instead of sled dogs. Yeah. I mean, I guess a dog sled doesn't work when you're on grass. That's probably true. But, you know, so again, just these differences. Um, And yeah, Lyra and Lee have this funny little chat. And I do. I'm glad we're getting to see more of them banter. Yeah, I, enjoy, I enjoyed their banter. I didn't banter. really expect that to see that, so that's fun and nice mm-hmm. for us. Um, and then from from there, we go back and get to know a little bit more about this new character that was just introduced. Will yeah. Barry. So we see Will's mother from a distance, perspective of Boreal and some guy that maybe he met up with in a previous episode that's connected with our other guy that's doing research on Grumman and all that. I, mean, I don't think we've seen that guy before. I don't know his name. No. But Boreal and this guy are in their car spying on Will and his mother uh, at their apartment. It's a pretty brief scene. Not much is said other than... This guy says he seems like a nice kid, and well, but the the he asks the guy in the car, who presumably is an our world guy, right? He says, "Is anybody? Are there any um, authority figures checking on them?" And he says, "As far as I know, they don't have any social services." And then yes. Boreal says, "So no one checks up on them." And then the other guy, who presumably is a creep because he's sitting in a car watching their house, he looks like creeped out by Boreal, like ooh, like. Yeah, maybe he doesn't really. I'm sure he doesn't really know the extent of what Boreal is up to. He's just doing his job in some sense here. So, yeah. Um, But that sets them up for Will Perry and his mom, Elaine, to be vulnerable. I could not remember her name. Elaine. Did they say it in the -hmm. the show? Okay. Um, And then we're back to an exchange with. Lyra and Lord Fa, and he says to her about Yorick the bear, you were right, we needed him as Yorick's pulling one of these uh, sledges or tanks or something up a very steep hill. Um, and then he asks Lyra to use the alethiometer, and she, he wants to know about where they're going. He wants to know about Bullvanger and the defenses there and what they can anticipate as far as... Um, battle or needing to get past some defenses and she has a lot of detail to offer and he looks a little skeptical about that when she's giving him the rundown of what the alethiometer says and then um the alethiometer also shows her that something else is afoot in a nearby town and i thought that this was cool when they showed us the imagery that presumably she's seeing in her head, like they're starting to give us glimpses into the way she's using her intuition to use the alethiometer. Yeah, I thought that was cool too. And I liked that because I always imagine the alethiometer as sort of similar to like tarot cards or crystal ball or, I mean, obviously it's a little more um, symbolic than something like a crystal ball, right? Mm -hmm. But tarot cards is a good... uh, analogy because there's lots of symbolism there's lots of different like meanings that you can derive from each card um but you also use your intuition to use those tools like you you get intuitive hits on certain things and so they're starting to like show us lyra's inner working of the alethiometer and i love that yeah i was into it it's just it's such a hard thing for them to show with her just looking at the symbols on the alethiometer itself and giving and for that to give us anything. 
But that was the first time they did this, and in the past she either tried to verbally say how she was interpreting the symbols, mm-hmm. um, but in this case they just showed us an image that yeah. she sees because of it, and, and I like that. I hope they do more of that. Yeah, me too. Um, and so she gets this message. She can't quite interpret it. She runs to... Um, Oh my gosh, I'm blanking Father on Corum. his name. Father Corum. Yeah. And she <laughs> she launches right into it. This is my favorite scene from the whole episode. It's like, pretty good. She just comes up this hill, spitting out everything that she's got about what the alethiometer just told her. And he says, hello, Lyra. She says, yes, hello. And then just gets right back yeah. into what she's trying to say Yeah, to I like that a lot too. It was very cute. It's very... Um, it really hit hit the nail on the head for me as far as like book Lyra versus show Lyra. Yes. That this was like a a perfect character characterization of like how I took her to be serious, trusting herself straight to business. Yeah. You know, not heavy on the politenesses necessarily. Yeah. It was really funny. And, and I liked really his good. response as well. I thought that was that was good and lighthearted. Um, at first it was, but then he tries to guilt her into abandoning the side mission by <laughs> well, saying, he denies well, go, her. go and ask Ma Costa, whose son we're not going to go find anymore because you want to do this side mission. Um, so then, of course, she does. And this is new because the Ma Costa being here is new. Um, mm-hmm. So I did enjoy that Lyra was like, oh, okay, go ask Ma Costa. So she just trudges down the hill, goes straight to Ma Costa. And she's like, look, <laughs> this is up. I got to talk to you. And she does it again with Ma Costa. She just says, do you trust me? Without saying anything else. And Ma Costa's mm-hmm. cooking dinner. And she says, do you want to eat with us? Like, are you eating yeah. with us? <laughs> it's just like... She's it's, just it's, launching into everybody Lyra in these couple right scenes, for so sure. So she explains it all to Ma Costa, and Ma Costa is on the fence, but um, considers it, you right. know, seriously considers it. She doesn't dismiss it like yes. Buttercorn. She says it. she'll think about it. And we also get snow in this scene, so that made me happy. There's snow in the forest. There's, there's not, snow in the there's forest. There's snow on the top of the hills where the sun is shining. So we, got, we get some snow. It's not even the lack of snow. It's the amount of sunlight that is happening. You know, like they're traveling during the day and then camping at night. But in my mind, it was pretty much night all the time because they were far enough north. Either way. Yeah. Uh, From here, we jump to Will in school at his locker. Kid goes by and calls him a freak. Seemingly no reason. Um, Well, I mean, presumably his mom. Yeah, but... It's a weird re- uh, whatever. Well, he's just getting bullied. Right, a he's getting bullied. High some. school. Um, from there, we cut to Elaine, his mother, mm-hmm. heading out of their apartment, and she gets stopped by Boreal, pretending to be her husband's f- old friend, John Grumman. Right. Well, in this world, it's Perry. Is it Perry? He's Grumman in Lyra's world. He's Perry. Oh, in this world. right. All right, John Perry. Yeah. So Boreal's saying he's an old friend and comes up to her and she immediately looks apprehensive just from the gate. Yeah. Um, she tells him he died 13 years ago. He asks how. For someone who's so paranoid, she tells a lot, actually. She does, but I can imagine getting taken off guard. For sure. She's definitely off and guard a little bit. 
that happening. I don't think it seemed unrealistic. Um, no, no, no. Not the portrayal of it was unrealistic, but just in hindsight, it's like... She does give a lot of information. She's clearly... <laughs> on, especially on this part. On high alert all the time about this kind of thing happening. And so then when it's happening, it's a little surprising that she's answering so candidly. Yeah. Like, right after he asks how he died and she says in a bear expedition in Alaska and they never found his body. Right. Like you could have just been like he died in Alaska. But she also could be trying to um, evade conversing with this person by, you know, saying like you're the person you're looking for is not here and like you're he's died mistaken. Like this isn't right. You know, like she's maybe conveying her suspicion through this too. Mm. Yeah. So, he gives her his number and says if she needs anything, he can she can call him. It's that just was a weird, weird a weirdly long handhold yeah. handshake. Um thing. she clearly looks frazzled as she walks away. And she goes to Will's school. Yeah. From there we cut to Will boxing with um some shithead classmate or something. <laughs> Um, while he's boxing, his mother comes in frantic from this interaction. Yeah. And the kid starts taunting him about his mother and her mental illness and Will loses his temper and they go at it. Um, after that, Will follows her outside, tries to figure out what's going on. She says a man was following her. And they were asking about his dad. So when we were watching this both times, I was wondering why the teacher is just like, go after your mom. Like he breaks up the boxing fight, you know, he tells them both to cut it out and he says, go get your mom. I'm like, okay, he knows something's wrong with the mom. Why is he not like intervening? So I was glad to see that after... Will talks to his mom outside and he comes back to get his boxing gloves and his clothes or whatever. The teacher's like, can I help you? Yeah. Like, the, I, can I offer you some social services in some way? Right. And and it was like a, the kind of thing that they could have left out, but I'm I thought so it was a good detail didn't. to put in just to be oh like, gosh. people aren't totally <laughs> unaware would, of what his situation is at home, especially a guy who's his boxing coach or whatever yeah, that he maybe sees he's like regularly the high school gym, gym teacher we don't whatever know, you know it's like an adult figure who seems to be with it and seems to know what's going on yeah. and seems to have a moral compass right he's like if you need anything just let me know is yeah. everything okay kind of checking in i thought that that was like a good detail to oh, put in yeah, there because without that when they, he just sends him out to go chase after his mom it's like what the fuck it's like like you just, if he didn't know what was going on or didn't like, care clearly you do you know and you he, just don't care but he well, does care. He does, but you know, it's he maybe he was trying to, you know, not dive into it too much in front of this idiot classmate guy who was already taunting him about his mother. Maybe. I do like the way that they're showing us that she is not delusional, but no. they are but will thinks that she is yeah like i i like that dramatic tension that we as the viewer know that her fears are founded but he as the son having dealt with her i mean it, it looks like they're showing her as having some kind of like ocd tendencies or some other yeah. kind of like compulsive some kind of minor things mixed behavior. with this wild 
stuff that she knows. Right. <laughs> like he just thinks this is kind of par for the course, whereas we as the viewer are like, no, no, there really is a like, man outside she knows your house. Some, she knows some shit. <laughs> and so this I like is the way they're doing Fucked this. with her head. Yeah. Um. Anything else with that? No, I think that's that's the end of that. All right. So then we're back at the Egyptian camp, and Lyra and Ma Costa are talking to Kaisa at the camp. And this is kind of a weird scene. And I couldn't tell if it was, like, the streaming speed of our television, but both times when they're looking up in the sky, I could see sort of, like, the glow from the fire, but it was also kind of pixelated, which I always associate with the number of people streaming the show at one time. Um, you know what I mean? Like the night Just, the show comes out when right. a lot of people are streaming it at once, the it's night, not as detailed. The nighttime scenes especially are affected by this. Yes. I can remember watching Game of Thrones Absolutely. when they had some of the night battles. And if right. you watched it at a peak right. time where lots of people were watching it, it would look pretty pixelated. Right. And in our uh, rhythm so far has been that we watch it when it comes out, like pretty much right as soon as you can, like 9 p.m., we're on the couch, we're ready. Mm -hmm. um, and then we watch it a day later, but we're watching it after work. We're watching it in the evening. If people missed it the first day, maybe they're coming home from work and watching it the second know. day. Like, we're not watching it at, like, 10 a.m. on a Wednesday no. or something when nobody's likely to be watching it. So I couldn't tell if it was that or if there was something in the sky that I was missing. Like, are they looking at the aurora? I honestly didn't even notice. You didn't see anything. Mm. But they're talking about her looking at they the sky. Are. And so it was just a little weird because it was, was not like an obvious thing that they were seeing. I thought this scene was a weird exposition vehicle anyways. Yeah. I know. With Kaiza just... I mean, this is stuff that we learn eventually in the book, but is this is not the method that we learned it in. I mean, we don't have a Kaisa hanging out at a camp, and they're you know like this is not yeah. But uh, Kaisa tells them that she's right to be looking at the sky at whatever they're looking at because she's looking for her dad, and her dad is um, imprisoned by Eofor Ragnarsson, who is. Uh, playing the magisterium dirty and letting him continue his research on the side even though that was the one condition that we saw last episode right. that um with mrs, mrs. Coulter. Coulter didn't want him to do so he is um he's out there still researching dust presumably yeah she says something about him using dust to build a bridge between worlds we get lots of exposition here um, the most important takeaway I got from Kaiza is that he tells Lyra that she must trust her instincts. Yes. And I'm like, thank fucking God, because in my, in my experience of Lyra as a character for the last 20 years, she never, ever doubted her instincts. But now we need someone in season, not season, sorry, episode five. To tell her to trust her instincts? Like, there was a lot of that this episode. Like, trust your instincts, Lyra. You have good instincts, Lyra. Um, Louis Scoresby says it later. Mm -hmm. I think that, like, this is the kind of contention between John Faw and her earlier on, you know. And Fodder Quorum. And Fodder Quorum. So it's just Even like, Ma Costa's a little hesitant to trust what Lyra right. feels like she needs to do. So I guess better late than never, but it's a little weird because she she never had a problem trusting her instincts before. Yeah. Before yeah, Jack yeah. Thorne got a hold of this character and wrote her into well, the television show. Here we are. So 
he says that. Um, and then we have this weird at addition that, you know, we said that I was going to talk about the Lyra scenes and you, <laughs> you were going to talk me, about the Will Perry this scenes, one? but this is neither Lyra nor Will Perry. So okay, I'll I, take it. I want you to do I'll it. take it. So <laughs> Serafina Pecola flies out of nowhere to speak to <laughs> Fodder Corum. Um, says, I'm sorry. I just... I'll do... No, I got this. <laughs> Fodder Corum says she hasn't changed since the day he met her. And she's like, duh, I'm a witch. I'm like 300 years old. <laughs> And we don't really age. Um, and then she like what could be perceived as slight shade. She's like, I could see the young man in you or whatever. Like, <laughs> however well, she actually, phrases that it. That was the best part of the scene for me when she said, "You don't look so different." The the way his face, he just his acting in that moment was brilliant. Like yeah. he looked really seriously touched. No, I'm joking, but she does say she says. He hasn't changed so much she can't see the man inside. I mean, and that that's nice. was the best part and of this nice. scene. That was the best part. But but the, presumably the two of them don't really need to rehash why she looks the same. No, this is they all shouldn't. The I mean, he's just commenting. I don't know. They haven't seen each other in a while. It's awkward, know, but, maybe. But, but she not. doesn't need to be like, oh, well, I'm 300 years old. Yeah, like, he's he like, knows, I, yeah, I know. We, um, we like had a kid together. Yeah. We were together. He knows how I know. Old she is. I know how old you are. Um, um, do you they think don't do she that. looks more like Carrie Ann Moss or Angelina Jolie? Mm, Carrie Ann Moss. But do you think that's just because of the hair? Maybe. She's she just, has those cheekbones. I couldn't tell if that was makeup or if that was cheekbones. I don't know. Well, it looked like that. It could. I know, but contouring is a real thing that you don't well, know a lot about. I don't. So. Um. Anyways, uh, he says they need her help slash the witch's help. They're walking into a battle that they maybe are undermanned or unprepared for. Um. She kind of says a weird thing like that's sort of to the effect of like, oh, now you care about trying to help some kids or whatever, or like doing something. She says you found your fight. Yeah, like he didn't. And this is seemingly in reference to when their child died. died. I thought that was a little odd. And he says it's his duty to try and help the kids. He gets very defensive. He does, but I think... Maybe understandably so. It's like seems like their kid just got sick and right. died. It's it was like a different, not the same yeah. situation at all. Yeah. So that happens. Um, she knows that she she lets him know that she knows the magisterium is behind all of this. Um, she talks of Azrael looking for other worlds, and she says he's right to do that, and that the witches have known about other worlds for many years. Um, I couldn't remember this exact part about when she's describing the Aurora and how you can see cities in it and how that relates to charged particles, but that happens in this conversation as well. A lot going on in this conversation. Well, okay. A lot of this conversation has basis in the book, but is, do you want to tell people why I'm laughing and I can't even talk about this? Do you, like, I can't even, I can't even express why this is so laughable to me um why is that you don't know i don't know if i know well okay number one it doesn't happen well yes it doesn't i know that um number two 
do you think that they're playing off of each other in a realistic way? And it's a li- and she flew there without a broom. Well, yeah, we have. There's, you know, this goes there's back layers. to there's layers to this the previous one. episode when there weren't the brooms, and now we know that the witches just fly without brooms. I'm not sure how either of us feel about that. Not great. Not Don't great. feel great. Um. Well, so yeah, it's it's we just we get a lot of this like, information from Serafina Pecola in the book, but not directly to Fodercorum. In fact, maybe to they, Lyra. Some of it to Lyra. Some of it to Lee Scoresby. Yeah, it happens later at a different time. Yeah, it's like we don't meet her this early on. No. in the books. No, no, no. no. We see Kaiser a couple of times. Right, but, but not her. No. And, and it's like a weird, like if you're going to bring her into the show and, and have her interact, to use it as, um, to some degree, like exposition. Absolutely. Was like, That's all this was. Was like, ugh, I didn't yeah. like it. I, mean, I didn't, like just. No, it didn't they do just, anything for me. They could have gotten rid of a lot of that exposition and just had her and Fodder Quorum have like um, a conversation <laughs> A normal conversation where they trust that we're smart enough that we can get whatever out of their conversation without it being like... Well, I think this was more about the emotional reunion between the two of them, and I'm not sure... So again, friends, I have not recently reread The End of The Golden Compass, and they're changing everything chronologically in the books, not just one book, multiple books. So I can't even remember if we get this reunion at all, and if we do, it's not like this. It I don't even know if we get this. this. I don't. I don't know. So this could have been been like a fan thing, like let's get them yeah, together. It's sort of like fanfic. Um, but even if it was that, it didn't land for me in that way. I didn't feel like they had a like. Yeah. I don't know. It didn't hit for me. It using it as exposition in general i think just the exposition in the show has been a little sloppy and hand-fisted hand-fisted is it hand-fisted that's what you said yeah i said i thought i said ham-fisted oh i don't know Isn't i don't that know what that saying? means i'm not sure it's just like i don't know it's like i said i are you trying to say heavy-handed yes it's heavy-handed <laughs> the exposition is heavy-handed and clunky yeah i agree with that yes and we learned some of this earlier at the witch console already. The witches are divided and stuff. And yeah, then, we already know a lot of this anyways. And then some of it adds dramatic tension because we don't know exactly what's going on at later points. And then we do later learn about it. I don't know. It it's just... not a great scene. Um, they embrace and kiss and she informs him that Kaiza will continue to follow them and keep her informed as to what's going on. She says Asriel is bringing a war, etc. Farakorum's crying by the end of the scene. He still does a good job acting. No, he's fine. He's totally fine. It's uh, just how did you like the Serafina Pecola actress whose name I'm not sure. Um, Ruda, it's hard to take Ruda anything something. from it with this scene, and I'm kind of annoyed that the, they made this her first appearance yeah. to do exposition. Yeah, like. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Um, so then in the morning, Lyra goes to Lord Fa, and he has this funny exchange with her where 
he says, you know, you only call me Lord Fa when you want something and you call me John Fa all the other times. And I think that's also like for the viewer or for the reader, because sometimes we call him Lord Fa and sometimes we call him John Fa. And like, at least for me, I'm not sure what to call him sometimes. Yeah, I do both. Which which one to call him. So it was like a funny, good call out, both of her and of us. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and he, that makes him smile when she says, okay, so Lord Fa, like, I really want to go on this mission. Yeah. Um, so then he goes over to Yorick and he's like, Yorick, are you game? And he's like, I guess if you want me to. And, um, and they are set to go. He says like, I can't really spare you, but this seems important. So go, go on ahead. Um, and then we have a cute banter scene of Lyra, Yorick and Lee preparing to leave to go mm-hmm. on this mission. I have the note, Yorick looks big. Uh, I wrote, I heart Yorick on my page. Like, he just looks like my yeah. favorite dog that can talk, yeah. you know? I'm into their, the banter of these three. Yes. Um, I really like when he says, hold tight, I won't be gentle. Like, yeah. It's good. It's He all also very it. seriously says, I, I trust the alethiometer. And yeah, and bears can't be tricked. So yeah. that's like a whole extra layer of him trusting the Lee truth is, and trusting. Lee is instincts. skeptical as is usual, I guess. Right. Uh, since his appearance um, in the show. So then Lyra climbs on and they go. It's awesome. Maybe my favorite part of this episode: so watching th- is Lyra that how ride you would on ride your... a bear on its neck. You know, you can't sit too far back because then too wide. Like why? You risk why can't you? sliding off? Maybe I don't know. So I guess in my mind, I would have my legs and my body farther back, like maybe behind the shoulder blades. But then, like, be basically laying on the bear with my head where she was sitting. Like yeah. I wouldn't be sitting upright. That you makes know? sense. I'd be like pretty much like lying on my belly and like a like knees squeezing the yeah. sides, hands that makes sense to me. Neck position. It She's just, up a little high. I just thought she was gonna fall off. Yes. It looked a little awkward. Also not very streamlined. But I still liked it. I'm glad you liked it. Uh, So she looks happy. They're riding across the snow. In the sunset. In the sun. But on the snow. It was getting darker. So at least we had that. It wasn't like (laughs) bright sun shining in the snow. Uh, It was sunset in the snow. Bear ride. Um, Despite her positioning being in question i thought it was good this was definitely some fan shit i was it well i mean it happens it could have been even longer honestly we could have had fine. more it was fine it was enough there. i'm just glad they did it at all okay. i was worried they weren't even going to show us that so That's i was sad happy. that we're worried about things like well that. i know all right well from here we cut to will making dinner for his mom she says he looks just like his father. Um, she makes some comments about how she hates being like how she is. Um, but Boreal set her off in the morning. She doesn't know he's Boreal. But the man that she ran into this morning set her off. Um, she says a bunch of other stuff about his dad, like he's going to take up his mantle and that he wasn't done with his work. And he had more battles to fight. This world is broken and takes extraordinary people to fix it. And Will's going to be that person to take his father's place. And Will just thinks this whole thing is a And he's like looking at her like, what are you talking about? 
And so, again, I like that they set up this dramatic tension between the two characters because you can really feel Will's position, but you can also really feel for her. Yeah, I feel for both of them. Yeah. Um, While in the midst of this, then she pauses and says, someone's been in their apartment and starts looking around the house. I really like the way that she is portraying this character. Yeah, I do too. It's not... It easily could have been done way over the top. No, it's perfect. But she's doing it in the perfect way where it's like this it's, very believable it's really subtle characterization where it's like, we know some things that her son, Will, doesn't know yeah. that make this make sense for her to be like this. Right. I think aside from Daphne Keene in this episode, this is like my second favorite. This yeah, actress. I'm real happy with her portrayal. Doing this She's character. doing, she did a great job yeah. in this episode. Um, so she starts looking around saying someone's been in the apartment. She goes into her room and pulls out his dad's letters. She was clearly worried that they were looking for these or took them. And he didn't know that they existed. He did not know they existed. But now he knows not only that they exist, he knows what they are and where they are. Yes. And she says they're important and that he's not ready for them. Um, and that she has to keep them safe. So now Will knows of these letters, and that's where we leave it. Sorry, I just put a chocolate square in my It's mouth cool. Sometimes you got to eat a chocolate square. Um, I'm hungry, too. I'm, I'm laughing that I'm doing these parts that I didn't think I was doing, because all I have in my notes for the next scene is Lyra and York just having a fucking picnic. I didn't say fucking, but that's basically what I have. It says Lyra and York have a picnic. <laughs> Oh, man, I want to laugh at this um, one, too. Here, I can take it. Okay. Lyra asks if he ever gets lonely without a demon. He says bears are solitary creatures. Lyra goes on to tell him about Azrael being imprisoned at Svalbard. Um, and I think she thinks that'll mean something to him because he was a Svalbard bear, and he says he is no longer a Svalbard bear because he broke the rules and killed another bear. Um, she asks who it was, and he says, who is not important, why is important, and that he was in, not in his right mind. But then she doesn't ask him why. She doesn't, but he kind of says no, why. he doesn't. He doesn't say why, but he just says, he does say that he wasn't like in, he was like out of his mind, basically. He says why, he says why that he, the reason that he was excommunicated was for killing a bear. That's why mm-hmm. he was exiled. But he doesn't say why he killed a bear. He doesn't say why specifically. No. Um, he goes on to say Azrael is not going to escape from the Svalbard bears. And Lyra says, he tricked me and my mom and all this stuff. And Another great he, Daphne Keene moment. Yeah, this is good. She's and he'll great. he'll trick them and Yurik explains that bears cannot be tricked. But he tricked me. He says, you're not a bear. And, and then yeah. she says, but I'm at least part bear or something <laughs> yeah, that like that. That was good. It was good. <laughs> yeah. And that he'll see. Uh, he'll see that that's true. He yeah. just looks, he looks both like he's mad at her, but also like he's falling in love with her at this point. Like not romantically. I like, like that. He's, he's just, the look he gives her is like, what strange little creature are you? Yeah. But you're charming and I want to have you around. This might have been... Outside of moments from maybe the first episode, the most Lyra 
on point as being Lara from the books character characterization. I mean, like, this whole episode, she's pretty. Yeah, she's pretty. Lyra. I liked it. I liked it. It was good. Um. Yeah. yeah. So that's that. That's that. And oh, then I did have one more. Thing. Did you have something? That was okay. the most uh, family friendly polar bear eating a reindeer or whatever that was yeah. ever. It was so PG. It's amazing. He was like politely, delicately, very <laughs> not gorily eating this. I mean, they basically just didn't really show him eating it because it was there next to him. Yeah. I I feel you. From there, uh, we cut to Will looking for his mom. She's not in her room, so he immediately goes for the letters that we just Duh. found, of course. Um, she comes in while he's pulling them out and says he can read them if he likes. He might need them soon. Yeah. And then he doesn't read them, and he puts them back. But he so. knows where they are, and he knows that she feels like they would be useful to him, and so that's what's important. Yeah. So then Lyra and Yorick are at the top of a ridge looking down at the fishing village, and she asks him if he's afraid, and he says, not yet, but when I am, I will master my fear. One of the best lines from the book. Glad they included it. They also omitted the book reason why he says that. But Yeah, it's different. Um I thought that this worked. It just is sad because that was one of my favorite book moments. I won't say what it is here. You'll have to keep yeah. listening for the, the post post recap recap. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they go on down to the village where no one is in sight. And there's just a lantern handily waiting. And I um, put convenient lantern lol in my <laughs> notes. <laughs> I mean... At least one person to hand her the lantern would have been nice. I, I don't think this is um, spoiling anything to say that in the book, people are staying in their houses, but they're like peeking out from behind the doors. Yeah. And, like, they she have does a interact of with one person. At I least. think maybe at least one. No, I think two. it's just one person, but still. I read it last night after we watched it. It's two people that oh, she interacts okay. with, but it doesn't really matter. The point is like people are scared. People are hiding in their houses. Someone does give her a lantern, but like mm-hmm. in the show, all you see is like, a convenient already lit lantern yes. in the it's middle of the village. It's pretty like, funny. <laughs> and then and one of the people that they talk to tells Yorick that the child is in the fishing hut or whatever it is. Um, and that's how he knows to say what he does say in the show, which is, it's in there, go. But like, you know, we don't get any of that. It's like, show us a scared person. That'll take 30 more seconds. It'll take one more extra. could have had that one extra. Come on. It, these kind of omissions, it's like this didn't have to be this way and it feels like an oversight that hurts my feelings. Yeah. Um, so then she goes into the the fish hut and Pan is really scared and kind of like squeaking behind her. And I did like that. This is maybe the only part of this scene that I liked was the way that Pan is showing yeah. her fear a little bit and mm-hmm. i think that that could have even been played up more like pan could have been more agitated i thought it was done well it was my favorite part of this scene but it could have even been better for me that's all okay. i'm saying and so she goes into the hut pan is scared and they find billy costa yep again refer to the post game 
Uh, yeah, I'm just we, gonna... we're gonna have a longer post section because we're gonna yeah. just hold off here to talk about this. I think. Um, and Billy Costa is without Ratter, his demon, and they leave on Yorick and go very, very quickly back to the Egyptian camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the Egyptian camp, you know, they come out. Kaiser kind of sounds the alarm when they get back and they take Billy off of Yorick and everybody kind of sees what's going on. Yeah. Lee gives a talk to Lyra where he says, this must be what they do to the kids. It's about control. If you can take someone's soul, you can do anything. A little heavy handed for me, but yeah. there, there, there but it is. He says you trusted your instincts and you got Billy back. I liked their interaction at the very least. I mean, like, I continue to like the two of them playing off each yeah. other. It's not to do with that. Yeah. It's just that like more heavy handed. More sort of. of this heavy handed. Like, here's what you need to know. Here's yeah. what it really means. It's like we are even if we are children, we are bright and we can understand what's going on. Right. Definitely as adult viewers, we can understand what's going on. Mm hmm. I don't know. Yeah. The, the the thing I loved, loved, loved about this book series all through my life is that it trusted the intelligence, both the mental capacity and the emotional intelligence of young adult readers. Yeah. That's kind of the and most frustrating part about this, this exposition shit is like. Is just like not trusting us to understand fucking anything. Yeah. So. That is. I, I totally agree with you. It's like. That's part of the cool thing about the books is like, yeah, for kids and adults, I would say, and it doesn't dumb it down. It trusts that the kid, that if you're a teenager or a young, you know, even preteen reading this, you can understand it and follow it. Yep. And you don't have to like do dumb shit to you know, try to. I read to... this book for the first time when I was 11. Yeah. And it was fucking fine. I didn't need help. You know, and like we do get some of the exposition and the narration in the book. So I'm not saying that none of this needs to be said ever. It's just but that like the way that it's being done feels really. Show don't tell. Like, yeah. Knock you over the head with it. So would you mind taking the next scene? Yeah. yeah. So from here we uh, we have Ma- it, it's a very brief scene with Ma Costa and Tony by Billy's side as he passes away. And them just trying to comfort him, more or less. Tell him it's okay to go with Ratter and that they're going to be all right. And uh, I wish yeah. I had felt more sad when this happened. I was so distracted by the where the fuck are they moment. Like, yeah. where well, are they? Where? I didn't really think about that. But you didn't? So I, like, with all these metal things around and all these, like, structural things and, like, looks like trash or like left stuff in the snow when Billy mm. was passing away. I didn't. I, it was either like an old settlement or an old camp that was like in disrepair or some kind of snow break or something. Mm. So you felt like this landed for you? It was, well, I, I don't know if I'm going to go that far, but <laughs> that wasn't what I was thinking about during this scene. Well, what were you thinking about? I was I, I can't talk about it right now. Okay. I was just this, this whole I was still, episode is just refer later. Just if if you don't. That's what happens in this spoiled, portion we'll of the episode. Move moving right on. Okay. <laughs> so we got we cut to Will asleep, his mom looking over him, and then she goes downstairs 
and we see that she sees she's being watched by the dude that was with Boreal before, and she's having a freak out about realizing this. I really liked this scene. This was good. I she was like she... counting panels or like, yeah, I think again, it's like some well, shit going on. Well, she did the light on. switch thing before that. It seems like she, and she counted the bricks earlier, so it seems like she's doing some kind of counting ritual. Yeah. Um, as like a self-soothing yeah. kind of thing. Um, I, I like that she checked on Will sleeping and then it's because the cat's outside that she opens the inner door and then she realizes that like the outer front right. door is open uh-huh. as well. I did really yeah. like this. So we have that. And then from there, Boreal meets up with, um, do you remember that guy's name? Thomas. Thomas. You ask me this every time. I, I cannot remember this dude's name. The guy doing all the research for him on Grumman slash Perry. Um, he says he found a money trail and that that's important because it means that Grumman planned out his leaving. Yeah. Because there's money going to Will and his mother Elaine and it's set to go to them for some time and has been going on for some time. So that tells them that he knew he wasn't coming back. Right. Um, the, the, Thomas also says he thinks Grumman must know about the window or something like it. Right. And um, maybe there's answers or some sort of paper trail in the apartment, something that indicates how he crosses worlds. Yeah. And dude seems like real into it at this point, this whole hunt to figure out what's going on. And I feel like Boreal's kind of looking at him like, I don't like that you're this into it. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. I mean, maybe. Boreal seems extremely um, single-minded in his pursuit of his goal. He is, goal. but he also, it, there's that that thing where he's, he doesn't want anybody to know too much of what his ambitions are or what mm. he's getting after with all this, whether it's people in our world slash Thomas or the other dude or people in Lyra's world. He kind of keeps people at arm's length to not really know what he's doing. Yeah. So you think that this guy's signed? I don't know. I got a weird vibe that he was like seemed a little too eager and into it. And Boreal was like, I don't like that. Maybe I perceived it wrong, but that was my vibe. He is playing that character very subtly, and I have continued to like him every time I see him. So you could be totally right. I mean, he very nonchalantly murders that journalist he did do that so that's not surprising um i didn't pick that up though i could be wrong um so then we we see a very rough scene um again most of what i have to say about this has to wait until the Mm-hmm. post game what what am i really needing to call that i don't know like what's that called when you like wait what do you mean to like the after party the after party it's it's the after after party party of our podcast um but what happens in this scene is that lee wakes lyra up and says that billy has passed away Mm -hmm. and lyra says she wants to see him and she goes out and looks at him and then ma costa lights the fire on his pyre oh i didn't mean to make that rhyme i'm really sorry that was bad and it's fine um I didn't think you meant to do that. It was not not what I meant. 
they then sing they a set. sing a song yeah. that uh, left a really bad aftertaste in my, not my mouth, but in my mind. I don't know. Like it, the words are "Your soul never leaves you," and like clearly, Is that what they were saying. Yeah. Okay. I didn't yeah. even know what they were saying. Oh, you just didn't like it on the strength of the way it sounded. Uh, um. Yeah, they are saying your soul never leaves you. Honestly, most of this fell flat for me, other than the the cut to the demons looking very sad. The in demons this scene. looking sad was the saddest. That part was of the this saddest scene. part of this scene. Um, and and you'll hear more in the after party section um, about why that yeah. fell flat. I'll take the rest of it. We have a cut scene to Will tossing and turning. Nothing really happens here. Lights are flashing and stuff. I don't know if there's anything else that you noticed that I didn't. Um, Elaine was sitting in her bedroom waiting for this to happen. Before we see Will in his bed tossing and turning in the car lights. They're car lights. Yeah. Elaine was sitting straight up on her bed with the lights on in her bedroom. Waiting for what, though? Well, we've read the book, so I'm not going to say. Okay. I honestly don't remember, so maybe that's part of my um, uncertainty of the purpose of this scene. Okay. We'll leave it at that. Um, from here, we get the jam- the Egyptians getting ambushed in the night. A couple people get killed. Lyra gets taken by dog sled. I, I like the visual of um, the big aerial shot of the camp and the, the Tartars going towards the camp from all directions, putting their torches out. Yeah. Um, but that was the best part of that scene for me. Um, they went in there, slashing throats with knives silently. No blood <laughs> was spilled somehow, even though everyone's throat got cut. Kids show. And um, then Lyra goes like right out to them. It's like, I hear something. Let's go out and see what's going on. I rolled my eyes just now. Um, and then we see the a dog sled arriving to a station, which we assume is the station. And the, the capturer um, brings Lyra inside past all of the guards with their wolf demons. Um, and we're in Bullvanger mm-hmm. at the end of the episode. Yeah. And they meet someone in the foyer and she is speaking in a language that Lyra can't understand to her captor and then switches to English and says, what's your name? She lies and says, Lizzie Brooks. And then this person reaches out to Pan as if to grab him, which is very yeah not cool. And like, Pan obviously moves away and shape shifts into a moth from an ermine. Um, and she says, oh, good, you were right. She is young enough. She doesn't look young enough. Mm-hmm. And then they give her to creepy sister Clara, who we met in a f- previous episode, and um, take her into a room where she tells her to strip. And they are going to put her in a suit that was like Billy's. Yeah. And we end with end her realizing episode. she's in Bolvangar. So are you ready for our after party section? Yeah, if you don't want to get super spoiler section. (laughs) This is your time to tune out if you don't, if you haven't read the books, or if you don't want to hear us talk about the books or future possible things, or changes or anything like Um, that. Yeah, just say goodbye now. We'll be back next Wednesday. Mm Mm-hmm. If you do, 
want to hear this. Hi. Oh my gosh. I have to like go back through every note that I took about this episode to like redo this whole episode oh, in I don't the think after we need... party section. Right. Are we ready to do this now? Everybody's yeah. had time. Okay. So the biggest thing here, obviously. The biggest thing, there's several big things. What do you want to start with? Should we start <sighs> chronologically? Like I All can right, get go over. Ahead. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Do it chronologically. We we already talked about how there's no snow and there's sunlight and they're not on dog sleds and like this is all details. I can get past that. Mm-hmm. It's a little sad that we didn't see it, but I wanted to see it. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is that all of this Will Perry storyline is spliced in from the first chapter of the Subtle Knife, or maybe the first couple of chapters of the Subtle Knife. I can't remember. Haven't yeah, read it in like, like 10 that. years because I didn't think it's I needed to. It's the very beginning of that book. It's the beginning of that book, but they're taking away screen time from the Golden Compass to give the Subtle Knife all this time. I don't hate it, honestly. I, I like it. And it could work, but there's only eight episodes, and they're not going to stretch out the Golden Compass past this season. You we don't. Know. No. I mean, by probably the, not. Where we are in the Golden Compass, we've already gone so far that by the end of this season, we're going to be at the end of the Golden Compass. That seems super likely. Yeah. And we're just never going to go back there. Mm-hmm. And so they're just cutting out other things that I wish we had spent more time on and kind of sloppily, in my opinion heavy-handedly at least uh giving us all this exposition quickly to move on from it instead of taking time to develop characters taking time to build worlds all that stuff so that's my first thing okay what did you think was the biggest thing the billy costa thing's the biggest thing for me and okay, can we talk introducing about Serafina, Serafina first, yeah, we, I feel like we already kind of covered that, but like, I just don't like that this is how okay. they... If you haven't read the book and you decided to follow along this far, you don't care about being spoiled. Serafina comes in later in the book and she talks to other characters and we do end up learning almost everything that she says, but yeah. ha- she... She is a force to be reckoned with in this world in the, of this story. And to introduce her now in this way as just sort of like an old lover of Fodder Corum's who's helping out and giving you a bunch of exposition feels... Yeah, I didn't like that. This being... Ugh. It's just a really poor way to introduce her. In the books, we get her... We see her first when she interacts with Lyra later on in the first book. And it's like way more powerful because there's all this lead up. And then Lyra's asking these questions about how this is all going down. Like part of the Kaiza exposition with Lyra and um, Ma Costa is also what Serafina tells Lyra later, you know, like, yeah. and it's, so it's all essentially coming from Serafina in one way or another, but it's still different than having Lyra like innocently ask a witch questions about what it's like to be a witch. Like all the mm-hmm. stuff about her being 300 years old and stuff. It's Lyra being like, but what's it like? And why aren't you wearing a coat? And how do you look so beautiful? And how are you flying on a broomstick, which doesn't exist in this story? You know? Yeah, there's just... And so the childlike wonder of talking to a witch about being a witch, we're never going to get to see that. And my heart is broken, you know? Like... Yeah. We're never going to get an 11-year-old who's like, tell me more. This is fascinating. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's it was... I wasn't happy that this is how we got our first introduction to her at all. And then the other big thing for me is that we didn't see the endless 
numberless witches, infinite witches flying overhead on broomsticks when Yorick says, I'm not scared yet. Like that is how we learn that the witches are divided, not from Serafina. We learn from Yorick to Lyra when the two of them see witches flying overhead endlessly. Yeah. I wanted to see a sky full of that witches flying overhead cool. endlessly. I did. Would have been I mean, cool. Maybe we'll still see that in a later episode. Because I imagine we'll get something like that. They're doing that kind of thing, but... Ugh. Yeah. That's when she says, are you scared? And he says, not yet. Yeah. Not because of Billy Costa. Okay, so now let's do Billy Costa. Yeah, this, in the book, we don't have Billy. It's just a, a random child from Bull Vanguard that, His name is that's Tony. been separated from their demon. And them changing it to Billy is just really odd to me. Like, well, so it's I supposed to have little... some kind of emotional appeal to the audience of the television show. And it just kind of, it. on top of them changing this, which I didn't like at all, I also felt like it just fell totally flat. Like, yeah, I didn't even really did. feel a way about it. No, I didn't either. This was one of the most horrifying scenes in the book. Like, as a child reading it, but also as a young adult, and then as an older adult. <laughs> At all stages of my life reading this book, this was one of the most horrifying scenes. And when I reread the book, when Pete reread the book, I said, how did that scene affect you this time? Because... This always was like the scariest moment of the Golden Compass. Yeah. And it did not feel that way because he, number one, so I was worried that this might happen and I didn't say, but I knew that Radar was the name of the demon of the boy who had been cut that they found. I remember that. I didn't even pick up on that. I thought that that was weird that they named Billy Costa's demon Radar, but I, I was, I don't know. That should have been like immediate. But for me, the I can't thing, believe I the missed thing that. that they took away from this scene for me, it's like you did us dirty with Billy Costa dying. That sucks. Like it could have just been a character that we didn't get to know yet. Um, and you could have not had his mother there, you know? And like, yeah, this it, really, it, it was again so heavy handed. Right. But in the book, the scariest thing about this scene was that he took one of those dried fishes in the fish hut and he was holding that to himself. Sorry, I just totally punched the microphone just by punching accident. the mic because you're so mad. <laughs> but um, he took one of those dried fishes and was holding it to his heart, like holding it to the left side of his chest over his heart and calling it ratter and like saying, where's my ratter? Is this my ratter? Like he was yeah, that, verbalizing them, that he missed his demon. Them cutting that part out was the biggest thing. That... And Pan was shifting into shapes that could fit in Lyra's palm against his chest. And he was like scratching to get close. Like, you know how when you like hug someone and you love them and you like try to squeeze them to like combine yourselves into two from two bodies into one body you know like you want to like squish them right into you so that you're like one person like you know pan's trying to do this to lyra he's like clawing at her chest like trying to get closer than close because he's terrified and so there's this mirror image of lyra holding pan to her chest and this other kid holding this dead dried salted fish yeah so it's a very powerful image and they they totally cut cut that that out (laughs) There's no reason, even with it being Billy Costa, they shouldn't have cut that. Yeah, and then it's totally at the burial, I don't understand at the, it. At the at the um the cremation, they cut that Lyra has to defend him and his fish. 
Do you remember that? Yeah, because they're, they're like the Egyptians are like kind of like, oh, what the fuck? They like, are like scared of him and they don't want to bring him back to camp in the first place and they don't want to help him. They want to just leak leave him because they're all frightened. And so she and Yorick team up to um defend him and they're like, No, take care of him, have compassion for him. This is terrible. Like, if you're scared, think about how scared he is. And he dies anyway, but then when they're going to cremate him, they took his fish away, and she goes, like, right up to the person who did it, and she's like, where is the fish? He's like, I fed it to my dog. I thought it was just a fish. I thought he was just eating it, you know? And so instead of that, she carves the name of his demon into a coin and pries open his rigor mortis jaw and puts the coin inside and closes his mouth again, you know? Yeah. like To me, this is maybe a, um, a problem of them overdoing it on trying to make it like family friendly or kid friendly exactly. like super overdo it like exactly. kids can handle it like this is the story if like, you can't handle prying open a dead boy's teeth with a knife to put a coin in it to honor his demon i don't know what to tell you i mean that that isn't gory that's just death you know like yeah and, and it just takes it cut, takes so much away from thing? from this part of the story I don't know. The fish thing. The fish thing was the whole thing. So, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm really frustrated by that one. Um, I think there was more, though. Crazy. There's still more. Really? Yeah. I didn't. I think that's that pretty much covers everything I had. My, my gripes or things I wanted to talk about. Uh, well, I guess I wanted to talk about the fire and the song a little bit, but then we just kind of did. I already talked about instead of a um, ceremonial mother lights your pyre and your whole community sings a song about how your soul never will leave you except that you came home without one this time, um, which like totally didn't hit home for me. Uh, yeah, Lyra is like a huge stubborn champion for this boy in the book that they totally took away from her character. Yeah, this was a bad change to me. Maybe the worst so far. Two of the worst so far in one episode. Yeah, doesn't feel great. Um, but you asked about about the scene with Will and the lights. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I can't remember what Elaine was doing because, again, I haven't read The Subtle Knife in like 10 years. Planning on reading it in the next couple of months. But um, the book opens basically with this cat sounding the alarm to a home invasion. I don't even remember that. Like their cat, their cat is a kind of character that reappears in The Subtle Knife. And so... I'm glad that they included that detail. I'm glad that the cat is there and that that kind of was the clue. But like, I think Elaine is preparing for the inevitable home invasion that uh, mm. Thomas and Boreal set up in okay. that other scene where he said, I think that you'll find some paperwork in there that's going to tell you what you Yeah, that makes know. total sense. I don't and know how I didn't think all of those that. those car lights where the car's pulling up to kind of like execute this mission. Right. Um, and so what I can recall from that, first part of the book is that it's extremely tense that we are dropped right into the action at the beginning of the subtle knife we don't get all this exposition that we did just get in the i mean we've been show. getting it four episodes <laughs> i know but like that's not the way the subtle knife starts oh we, i know we just i'm aware 
are dropped into this very tense scene of a home invasion of basically like men in black, like searching the home up and down and will remembering that there's these documents and going to get them to save them. Um, I can't remember if they take the mom away or if she like disappears or runs no, out. No, no, no. He he takes her. Who takes her? Will does. Will takes his mom. Mm-hmm. You to get that. out of there in the beginning of Cell Knife. Well, so basically they've brought us up to the beginning of the Subtle Knife and they've given us a lot of backstory yeah. that we didn't have previously or that we learn later through the narration. Right? Right. I like it on some level, but it probably also would have been cool if we just got dropped into this and we're like, what the hell is going on? If they started season two with this crazy, intense scene, yeah, that would have been awesome. But here we are. So that's what, I think that's what's going on. And so I think that that will probably happen before the end of this season. And so that's my original problem with the way that they're taking time away from the Golden Compass. It's like you're cutting out, I don't know, extras. You're cutting out dialogue. You're cutting out character building. You're cutting out building what Lyra's world. Like we know she's going to leave it. Even if you haven't read the books, you know she's going to leave it. <laughs> like, they're setting everything up to be, like, world-crossing, world-leaving. But that doesn't mean that we don't want to know where she comes from. Yeah. For sure. So, um, I guess that's all I have. We're just yep. just negative Nellies over here. I think this is, re- this is totally reasonable skepticism on our part right now uh okay well it seems like you're headed towards a pizza dinner and maybe some less emotional television watching later yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right we'll be back for episode six next week next wednesday bye bye